Um, our reading today is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Um, I'll give you a moment or two to find that, either in your paper Bibles or on your phone. Okay. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I will write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Thanks very much, Kat. Um, morning, everybody. My name is Josh. Um, I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Church, and I'm going to um, pick up on that passage that was read to us um, and talk us through it, and we're going to hear from God as, as we look at his words. So um, before we do that, uh, let's pray. Dear Father, thank you that you speak to us through your word, and thank you that as your word is opened and read, um, your Holy Spirit has already spoken those words and will bring them to bear on our hearts, and we do pray that that's what will be going on now, that we will open our hearts to your spirit, that we will listen, and that um, these words won't just fall away as words, but that we'll receive them as you speaking to us that we will be profoundly changed and encouraged um, to live our lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I um, was at primary school, I had a head teacher, and he was a lovely man. And uh, although when you're six years old, your head teacher is always a little bit intimidating. But he was a lovely man. And this head teacher, Mr. Roberts, was always either full of warm encouragement or... He was a stern shouter. And quite often, you never really knew which one was coming because he had this way of saying, well. And so you'd see him coming down the corridor towards you. He's coming towards you. You're coming towards him. And he'd say, Josh Probert, well. <laughs> you weren't too sure what to expect. He may have heard that, you, that I was helping out at the open evening, and I'd opened some, the door for some parents. And he was about to say, well, haven't you done us proud? But maybe he's caught wind of some mischief in class, and he's about to say, well, I'm shocked and disappointed. So for, for this moment, you're held in this nervous middle ground, and you're not knowing whether this encounter is about to make your day or ruin your day. And Christians often get the same sort of nervous middle ground when we read this book of 1 John. We're looking through this letter of 1 John um, in the Bible, this term. We're picking up on this theme of authenticity that runs throughout the letter. It's a letter that's run, uh, that is written by a chap called John, and he knew Jesus. He was friends with Jesus in the flesh. So he knows what it is to know Jesus. 
and the effect that has on you. He knows what it is to be known by Jesus and to be loved by him. And so he writes to Christians about being authentic in their faith and how that builds community marked by authenticity. But that means we often find him saying things like that anyone who really knows Jesus, like they say they do, will actually be found loving others. And they'll be found doing a phrase he uses quite often, walking in the light. Now, if you've read 1 John before, or if you've been following our sermon series up till now, there's a risk that you might find yourself a bit like six-year-old Josh when the head teacher has just said, well, is 1 John pulling at the threads of our inconsistencies to unravel the fact that most of us aren't real Christians at all? Or is he speaking with great encouragement to people who really are Christians, to help and guard us? Well, well, open your Bibles back up to that passage if you've closed them or if your phone's gone off. Um, Back to 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. And what we find here is John speaking words of great tenderness and comfort, as he holds out to his readers this wonderful assurance of what we are if we trust in Jesus. He seems to be interrupting his main thrust in his letter at this point, just so that he can make things simple to his readers. He says, I'm writing this to you because, well, I know that you are authentic Christians, And he clearly wants them to be secure in that too. And he wants them to know what that means for them. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. The passage splits quite comfortably into two bits. So we'll look at the first half first. So we'll look at verses 12 to 14, where John encourages us with what we are. Let's look at what we are. So verses 12 to 14 is an interesting little section, because in this bit, Uh, you might spot that John's not making an argument. He's not developing a big uh, argument that he's saying. He's not picking up where he left off. It's a bit of a poetic interruption, and you might have noticed that he's addressing three groups of people and each of them twice. So glance through verses 12 to 14. He says, Dear children, fathers, young men. Verse 14, Dear children, fathers, young men. Now, just as an aside, if you've noticed there's an absence of women there, I don't think that's John's intention. Um, In fact, this phrase, dear children, is quite commonly used by John as a way of talking tenderly to his whole congregation. So dear children actually means everybody, and it means grown-ups, and it means men and women. I take it John's actually addressing everybody when he says dear children, but he's just also addressing two additional groups, fathers and young men, but it's most likely that that is John using family language to express uh, what it means to be a leader in the church. The leaders in the church, I think, are fathers. And the young men, I take it, are um, like the next generation of leaders, possibly already serving as deacons. So John is, and this is quite typical of John, he's wanting to give great comfort and assurance to the church. And so he addresses them in these family terms. For John, the church is a family, and whoever you are in the church, you are a dear, dear children, a dear child. You you belong. 
You belong with one another. You belong to the Father. And so he sees the leaders as fathers and young men. But you were all united around the fact that we are one family who knows the Father. And so John pauses his main thrust to speak tenderly to this beloved church family. And I think that applies also to any body of authentic Christians. And so I believe what he says should be encouraging to us too. When he encourages us in the security of our status in Jesus and encourages us to relish what we are in Jesus. And I'm going to outline from this passage three things that I really want us to be encouraged by this morning. Firstly, dear children, you're forgiven. You're forgiven on account of his name. Now, John has said to Christians that we must live in the light. And when we've seen in the last two weeks that that seems to mean um, not keeping our sin and our failures in the dark, but actually owning up to our sin, bringing it to light, and trusting that, well, what makes us Christians is that we believe in the Jesus who, when sin is brought to light, he says, I've already dealt with it. So John says, I write this letter to you, dear children, not because there's a problem and, and, and you guys are stuck in sin and, and we need to get that sorted, but he says, I'm writing to you because did you know that sin is already dealt with? Actually, you just need to get with the program. It's all gone. So there's no more guilt. So let's live in the light. Not because I'm saying you have to, but because you get to. Dear children, members of Christchurch Liverpool and anybody in this room who's a Christian, Operate towards one another on this basis. That your sins have been forgiven. There's nothing that you can bring to light about yourself. And nothing that anyone is going to bring to light about themselves. That hasn't already been dealt with by Jesus' death on the cross. I want you to be encouraged by that. And here's another thing to be encouraged by. Secondly, dear children, in verse 14... You know the Father. And similarly for the leaders both times, you know him who is from the beginning. Now, I really want you to be encouraged by this this morning because, because this speaks to a deep and fundamental longing human beings have. The longing for fulfillment and satisfaction. To be who we're meant to be. To, to be exactly what we were created for. There's a Christian leader from way back in the um, fourth and fifth century called Augustine, and he put it like this Our hearts are restless until they come to rest in you. See, we find who we are, who we were meant to be, and we become who we were designed to be. We lose that restlessness when you come to know the Father and know the Son, Jesus. That's uh, who John means by him who is from the beginning. Um, that's what he refers to Jesus as in back in the very start of the whole letter. And this is here so that you and I can be encouraged that by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we have entered the most profound and fulfilling and completing relationship that we were ever designed for. 
dear children, members of Christchurch Liverpool, and anyone else in this room who is a Christian here today, well, you can go forward from today knowing that you are complete. You're completing everything you designed for because your most basic existential need is fulfilled because you know him who is from the beginning. You know him who gives you purpose and meaning. You are known and loved. And that relationship will go deeper and bring deeper and deeper joy every day from now for eternity. Isn't that encouraging? That is what you are. And thirdly, to the young men, although I think this applies to every Christian too, and I think that's why John put it in there, he says you've overcome the evil one. That is what you are. I suppose not many of us would actually go and put our hands up right now and say, yes, yeah, I know that. I've overcome the evil one. I mean, I certainly know. I constantly um, fall in my battle with sin all the time. And it's a constant battle without any feeling of, like, big victory. But John is saying if you're a Christian, this is a right view to have of yourself because your most fundamental identity, if you're a Christian, is that you're in Jesus. And Jesus is the one who is from the beginning, powerful and mighty, died and rose again, and has overcome the power of evil. And we are united with Jesus, so, so we have too. See, Satan's days are numbered, his power, power is tethered, so if we're in Jesus, there's no enemy that hasn't been overcome. And that sin that's been forgiven, I know we might still sin, but that holds no mastery over us. We are fighting a battle we need not lose. And also, if you're still a Christian since yesterday, if you're still a Christian since last week, if you're still a Christian since last year, well, then you have overcome with God's help so far. That's why you're here. I really want you to be encouraged by these truths in these verses from 1 John this morning. Don't be unsettled. Christian, your sins have been forgiven. They're gone. They're dealt with. And you know the Father. And you know him who is there from the beginning. And you've overcome the evil one. I want you to be encouraged by these, particularly though because I think... It is very unsettling when we find ourselves forgetting or disbelieving any one of these truths about what we are. And sadly, I think in the world we live in, there are plenty of ways that these get attacked. And I don't want you to be thrown off kilter. To people around you, Christians and even non-Christians, do people around you speak as if there's some shame you should still be clinging on to for something you've done in your past. Something that you have actually confessed and has been forgiven. Do you even sometimes come across what supposes to be Bible teaching, but that tells you that you need to do more and more in your life to get more merit with God, to grow closer to him in, in some sort of way? Well, be encouraged. That that's all False. Don't be unsettled by any teaching or anyone who says to you anything like that. Because, dear children, sin that's confessed and placed on Jesus is gone. It's forgiven. Be assured. That's it. 
Or on the second one, do you think people expect you to have a spirituality about you, that, you know, your own sort of, you know, belief, everyone can have their own, but that that doesn't bring a relationship that changes you? Do you expect that you can be a Christian but still find meaning and your deepest longings met somewhere else? Do you feel like you've signed up to a belief system but you still kind of feel a little bit empty? Well, you've been undersold Christianity. Don't let that unsettle you because that's not what Christianity is. Don't be robbed, dear children. You know the Father. You know the Son. You know the one who's there from the beginning. And so you have, part and parcel of being a Christian, you have the most profound relationship that will change and transform you. And that is the source of your deepest joy. So be encouraged. Don't be unsettled. Press on. And on the third one, do you ever feel discouraged by the fact that temptations to sin are there everywhere, every day, and you fail about a million and one times every day like me? In your life, does the reality of temptation dominate the reality of purity? Well, don't be unsettled by that. Don't be discouraged. That's not the reality in your life. Because young men, anyone, you've overcome the evil one. While you're fighting, you're winning. The spirit is in you. It says the word of God lives in you there at the end of verse 14. The spirit in you is stronger than the defeated tempter you're fighting. So be strengthened. You are strong. You have God's word with you. So fight on. I especially want you to hear this if you're in a position at the moment where um, perhaps you're new to Liverpool. You might be trying out different churches. You might even just be here because you're trying out different experiences, kind of plugging back into um, bigger questions in life. And as you do that on your journey of Um, finding a church or finding a community or finding your faith, on that journey, you're probably going to come across quite a lot of different sort of flavors of Christianity, a lot of ways that it gets done. But let me tell you, if you're unsettled because what you hear is guilt, 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 or if you're unsettled because you're given this ticket to heaven, but no transforming relationship, knowing the one who's there from the beginning, or if You're told that what you can have is forgiveness, but no fight, no overcoming. Well, then all of that distorts what John would have all Christians profoundly encouraged by. So if you're not settled in our church, if you're likely to go on from here into a journey of faith or other churches, well, do keep that in mind. Don't be unsettled when you hear those false things taught. Be encouraged. You're forgiven, you're in fellowship with the Father and the Son, and you're overcoming Satan. All is good if you're trusting in Jesus. But John moves on to show how that we still have to take care. Although what we are is secure, we must still guard what we love. And that's the second half of the passage from verses 15 to 17. We still need to guard what we love. Uh, I used to ride a moped. Now, this was a long, long time ago. Um, It was over half my life ago. um, And I haven't ridden a moped for 19 years, but I I used to. And uh, 
I started off because as long as you've got a provisional driver's license and you do a, a course called a compulsory basic training and your moped is limited to 30 mile an hour, then you can even drive a 100cc motorbike or a moped on the roads when you're 16. And so the Saturday after I turned 16, I did my compulsory basic training course so I could get out on the moped. And it's not a hard course, it's just a day-long course. And in the morning, we did lots of theory training, and in the afternoon, we hit the road. And before we went off, I remember the instructor said something that, that has stayed with me. He said, yeah, obviously, keep your eyes on the road. You know, obviously. But, you know, even if you're on a straight road and there's no hazards, you should still keep your eyes ahead. And that is because, especially on a moped or a motorbike, wherever you're looking, you will drift off that way. And I'd never thought about that before, but that really is true, especially on a, on a mo moped or a motorbike. And I, I didn't take long to find that out. My, my ride home was my first ride alone, my first time on a dual carriageway. There it was on my moped, and you'd see things you'd never seen before. So I was looking out over a hedge at a view of the countryside to my left, and it was wonderful. And I found myself drifting into the gutter and having to correct again. And it worked the other way as well. I, there was a, you know, a hut in a field caught my attention. I said, wow. And then I found myself like veering onto the other side of the road. Now, luckily, there's no other story to tell it. I got home safely, and that's fine. But it really is true. Whatever I was looking at is what I was drifting towards. Now, the principle on the roads is the same principle that John wants these dear, sincere, forgiven Christians to be aware of. Whatever you set your love on, that's what you're drifting towards. Verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Now, I do want you to know what's going on here. He's not at this point rebuking them or telling them off for something they're doing wrong, as if he's just said, your sins are forgiven, but let me just pick one again and just kind of dredge it up. That's not what he's doing. He's already said, chapter 2, verse 1, uh, your sin is dealt with by your advocate, Jesus. Verse 2, your sin is dealt with by the atoning sacrifice, Jesus. Verse 12, you are forgiven. No, John is addressing the allure that might displace that wonderful fellowship with the Father and the Son, he says they have. And so these verses, 15 to 17, I think they guard all Christians, and they're going to guard you and I today against that danger of swapping this beautiful, profound security in Jesus, what we are, swapping that for something that John points out is just fleeting. Do not love the world. And I just want to point out, again, a note on the language John's using. When he says the world, John quite often uses the world to mean the world in darkness. In other words, people, everyone who doesn't know Jesus and uh, cultures and societies and systems where they reject Jesus. And so when he says don't love the world, he's not saying that you shouldn't have a genuine, deep, heartfelt love for your non-Christian friend or your sibling or your parent. What he's saying, rather, is don't let what matters most to people who aren't Christians, don't let that matter most to you. Don't have your loves formed by what matters most to people without Jesus. And that is John guarding us 
against that allure of whatever might displace our love for the Father. If anyone loves the world, he says, love for the Father is not in them. Because the danger is the same as on a moped. Whatever you're setting your sights on, you're drifting towards it. Now, the kind of things he has in mind there in verse 16, he says it's the, the kind of things that might drag you away that you fix your, your hearts on are the lust uh, of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I don't think those things are just limited to sexual things, things that we might normally associate with the word lust. The word lust means a strong desire, a kind of a, a need for getting gratification from something. But that doesn't just have to mean something sexual. We can find that immediate gratification in, say, popularity or ambition and career, and making a name for yourself. We might find that same kind of craving, that same lust, satisfied by a lifestyle of maximum enjoyment, the YOLO uh, experiences we get. It could be in relationships that we pursue above all else. And yes, sex too. And it could be in achievements that we want to make of ourselves. All those things are actually totally acceptable as, as life goals in a culture outside. And Christians would actually be seen as quite normal if we had our loves formed by those things. But John, he sees that our dear forgiven hearts who love the Father and know the Father and the Son, well, they might exchange their secure and happy an everlasting status of knowing the Father. Exchange that for a fleeting high when they set their love on the immediate desires that crave their attention every day of their life while the world forms what they love in their hearts. John wants us to think, don't settle for cheap gains. When all of those things that we mentioned from verses 12 to 14, they are concrete, they are lasting, and they are not cheap. They were brought for us at the price of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. See, Jesus came to live in our world as a human being to show us what it is to know the Father, to show us that real fullness of life. And Jesus, as a human being, died on the cross so that we could be people who live in the light with sins forgiven. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead, having overcome the evil one, so that you and I can say we have overcome. Rest secure and settled in, in those wonderful things. And don't think that quick gratification is sweeter than that. There's never a time when we don't need this reminder ourselves. I think the allure of leisure and pleasure is so pressing on us every day. And its promise is so immediate that verse 17 is such an important perspective to keep. Look at verse 17, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, I'm not here to tell anyone off for whatever pleasure you're chasing. I want you to be wise to what it does to you when you set your heart on those things. What you gain that passes and what you lose that is lasting. If you're a Christian, the Spirit is speaking to us today through 1 John chapter 2, saying, if you love Jesus, 
It's brilliant. Be secure. Be unburdened. Come and live in the light. Your sin's forgiven. You know God. There's no enemy that hasn't been overcome. Be encouraged. If you're a Christian, it's brilliant. And so don't you see that that's way better than anything that you might set your love on that is passing? So won't you guard where you set your love? Who is it that forms what you desire most? Are your loves shaped by the world? Or are your loves shaped by the fact that you know him who's from the beginning? And can I just say this to you? If you're not a Christian here today, because I'm conscious that virtually everything I've said is directed to Christians, because this passage is to people who have faith in Jesus. So thanks for sticking with it if, you're, uh, if this doesn't apply to you if you're not a Christian. But I do hope that you have seen that in the Bible, there is this offer of a guilt-free, open life. And there is handed out to us this life-transforming relationship with the eternal and divine God that means everything for who we are. And that's not something that we are here trying to tell ourselves to do better to achieve. That's already been achieved for us by Jesus' death on the cross. And this passage is saying that that security of knowing that for ourselves far outstrips any pleasure that is found elsewhere. Now, we are not a church who wants to make converts of you, but we are a church who loves to offer you this Jesus. And so if you're not a Christian, we offer you this Jesus We would love for you to know him, to to, to be able to say for yourself, yes, I've come to know him, the father and the one who's from the beginning. We'd love for you to come to know him yourself. So you can talk to me about that afterwards. I'd love to speak to you about that if you've got any questions or just comments on it. Maybe it'll work better for you to share what you're thinking with the person who brought you along. And there's going to be some contact forms available at the end if you actually would rather keep in touch so we can talk more. Because I hope that this passage in 1 John 2 has has really given us a fresh perspective on what a wonderful thing it is to be a believer in Jesus. See, if you're a Christian, what you are is forgiven. What you are is knowing God, is overcoming evil. And there's nothing more encouraging or happy that I can say to you this morning. And so we guard what we love, not drifting away drifting to whatever will fade away. Imagine the wisdom and joy we'd live in if we grew to relish more and more what we are in Jesus and grew to keep our love away from what's passing. Let's pray for God's help that we can do that. Let's pray. Dear Father, these words that John wrote to Christians are ones that are profoundly encouraging for us if we are Christians. Thank you, Father, that you say this about us in your word, that you declare that if we are children in your family in the church, then we are forgiven. Thank you that you declare that that we know you, that you're not hidden and far off, but we know you. And thank you that you declare that we've overcome the evil one. There's no battle that we need lose. Thank you so much for that encouragement. And Father, would you, by your spirit, give us such a relish for that, that
that when we read not to love the world, that will be obvious. And that we'll compare what the world offers and find it not so good. Father, help us to live in that security. Help us then to to live the life that, that John is speaking about, of living in the light, of authentic Christianity, of knowing you and having fellowship with others. Help us to live that out in this security that we love, that can't be taken away from us because Jesus has done it, Lord. Help that to be our treasure. Help that to be what we we relish and that forms our loves more than anything else. We pray that you'd help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen.